0: Hi, I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from BearMarriage.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence based biblical advice for your sex life and your marriage. And we are here for the last Bear Marriage podcast of 2023. I'm so glad that you can join us. We have a really hopeful, fun interview coming up on how we can get the church to change and to become something really healthy. And that, of course, is what we are dedicated to at Bare Marriage. I am just back from um, a two-week trip to Australia and New Zealand. Keith and I did a cruise, um, and we stopped in six different cities where we had meetups. So we met some, some people who follow us. We had some amazing times in Sydney. Um, Mark, Mark Mouseco joined us. And that was a great event um, put on by Christians for Biblical Equality in Sydney. In Melbourne, one of our patrons um, organized the event. We had about 40 people there too. And then all over New Zealand as well. And the big feeling that I got coming out of that was just feeling both humbled and overwhelmed because I heard over and over again how much what we do here at Bare Marriage and how much books like The Great Sex Rescue and She Deserves Better have honestly changed people's lives. And that's what I heard over and over again, like this information changed my life. And sometimes I feel like I'm talking into the void. And so meeting people in real life on the other side of the world, that was, that was quite tremendous. And yeah, and very humbling. And we want to keep that energy going, we want to change things. And so I have a really important announcement before we bring on our interview, which is we um, have been invited by the Bosco Foundation um, to be a new initiative under them. So they, they are really big fans of what we do and they have asked me to head up something called the Good Fruit Faith Initiative, where we're going to expand What we do so that we're not just talking to people who are reading our books, but our goal and our aim is to actually do things that will change the way pastors and counselors and medical professionals are trained around issues of marriage, sex and evangelicalism. So this is super exciting. Over the next year, we have some really big plans um, to hire people, to partner with people, to do some peer-reviewed papers, to create some continuing education classes um, for semina- for seminary students, for pastors, for physiotherapists, for counselors. We want to get this stuff at the root because we've been getting the information out to, to people, which is wonderful. But now we want to make sure that those who are actually setting the agenda in churches know the research and know what's real and know what is healthy, evidence-based and biblical. And so would you join us in that? I'm, I'm going to invite you and ask you and plead with you um, to help donate to make this a reality because um, we can't do it alone. But with this new initiative, we're going to be able to do so much more and get the word out there. So it will be tax deductible within the United States. Unfortunately, outside of the United States, it can't be. We're working on that. <laughs> as you come up to the end of the year and you're looking at your charity donations, would you consider giving to Good Fruit Faith under the Bosco Foundation? I'm going to leave the link in the podcast notes and it would just mean so much to us. It would be so encouraging. We're well on our way towards meeting um, our goal. I think we're about halfway there now before the end of the year. And we just started fundraising a couple of weeks ago. So I know you guys are passionate about this, but we have to expand. We can't do it alone. And so with this, we're going to have the opportunity to really influence people at the start of their careers, because that's how churches can be changed. So if you feel passionate about what you're doing, please, will you give to us? And the link is in the podcast notes. And now here's our interview. I am so happy to bring back on the podcast, a father-daughter duo who have written another book together. We have Dr. Scott McKnight, who is a professor of, is it like New Testament? I forget. A professor of
1: New Testament. New My Testament. 40, 41st year as a professor.
0: Awesome. At Northern Seminary. And his daughter, Laura Beringer, who is a teacher and a friend of mine. And I am so glad to have you guys back. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Yes, Good thank you, you know. Sheila.
1: I always say that I'm a teacher too.
0: Yes. <laughs> Laura says,
1: I'm just a t-. she says of herself, I'm just a teacher. And I say, I'm a teacher too.
0: So, <laughs> and I see, um, in the background, uh, Scott has uh, two of his most recent books, or two of the books that we're going to be talking about today. Um, A Church Called Tove, and you were on our podcast probably two years ago when that book was first out, talking about yeah. that, and your new book, Pivot, which I have here as well the priorities, practices, and powers that can transform your church into a Tove culture. And, you know, on the last few episodes of the Bare Marriage podcast, we've been talking about how traumatic church can be and how problematic so much of especially evangelical culture is right now. And so we are here to have you fix it. So we're excited (laughs) (laughs) you're going to help fix it for us. If people
1: would just listen.
0: Yes, this is going to be the hopeful podcast as we close out before Christmas. So um, explain to me what Tove is again.
1: All right. I'll 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 do this one. Uh, tov is the Hebrew word for good or goodness. We studied that word. Or I should say I studied this word uh, in the Old Testament. And God is good. Everything God does is good. God's creation is good. God forms a good covenant with people to form a relationship with him. Jesus is good. He calls us to do good works. And the Spirit empowers us to goodness. So that's sort of the spectrum in the New Testament or or in the Bible. But one of the things we found out right away is that people are nervous about the word good because of Romans 3.10 that says, there is none good, no, not one. And I believe that is the King James Version. And so there's this sense that if you say you're good, it's like you've offended Christian sensibilities. (laughs) But yes, God is good, and only God is good. But God, through the power of the Spirit and the grace of God, can transform us into agents of goodness to be, have good character. So, yes, there is none good, but that's none on their own. But in the power of God, we can become good, and that's why we want to have a, a Tove or a good culture
0: and i love that idea of being good agents or tove agents in your church because that's really what um what you're talking about in this book like a church called tove gave us this vision of what a healthy church would look like what it what a tove church would look like and now you're saying okay but how do we get there like what practically yeah. do you do and that transformation that you talk about in this book you're not just talking to pastors that's what i so appreciated there's so much of the book that's talking to you're the person in the pew and you see a lot of problems, but you love this community. You love the people that you're with. And what do you do then? So this is this is the book to answer those questions for those of you who are wondering, like, what do I do when I see so much stuff going off the rails? But I don't just want to bail. And so, and and so that's what that's what I see this book as as being really helpful for for our audience. Can you tell us about the difference between shift, change, and transform? Mm.
2: Yeah. So by pivot, we mean deep cultural transformation. We don't mean a shift. My dad likes to use the example of it seems like to those of us who are not in ministry, it seems like not that big of a deal to move the piano from one side of the stage to the other. So we kind (laughs) of say it tongue in cheek, but that would just be a shift. Or a change might be something like adding a ministry or doing a sermon series or um, hiring a a different pastor for it to oversee a different part of the church. By pivot, we mean we use the metaphor of the peach tree and we're talking about um, looking deeply at what's in the soil and replacing what needs to be replaced, removing what needs to be removed, and then adding what needs to be added. You know, well, you wait a minute though, about... wait a
1: minute. This this piano thing is a little bit of a, an issue here now.
2: Yes. If
1: if you try to move a piano in a church from one side to the of the platform to the other, you may very well cause a church split.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so so my, my pastor students say it's very common among pastors to say the way you move a piano across the platform in a church is one, one inch a month.
2: <laughs> so some... <laughs> Yeah. But Laura
1: came up with the peach tree. So that's yes. Laura's stuff. <laughs>
2: yes. Yeah. Yeah, so,
0: Go ahead, Sheila. Yeah. So tell me, you, had, you talked about soil and leaves and fruit and how they all interact with each other.
2: So we developed, we did a lot of research because this, so I'm rewinding the tape a bit, but after Tove came out, people started to ask us, we would be on podcasts like this one and people would ask us increasingly, this question became increasingly more frequent, was, well, how, I, we love this vision of Tove, how do we do it? How mm-hmm. do we? How do we transform a culture? How do I participate as maybe a layperson. And so um, we took, we researched the topic because there's business models out there, but there isn't really a model for transforming. There isn't a, I should say, there isn't a research book to follow for transforming a Christian organization. And so we, we read what we could from the business world. There's a really important book that my dad shipped to my house. And I like to say it was this thick and he said it was this thick, but it was, it was dense. It was full of research from the major researcher in the United States. Um, His name is Edgar Schein, and he goes in and helps businesses transform their culture. So we read what we could from him, and then we tried to apply it to a Christian culture. And that's where we came up with the peach tree metaphor, We picked the peach tree because I have one in my backyard and it's perfect for this illustration because it does not produce any peaches and it's by all appearances rather unhealthy. (laughs) And it, it illustrates for us um, the larger concept of, of culture. So with culture, you have the visible elements of what you can see are for us are what you can see on a peach tree, the peaches, the leaves, the branches, And then what is invisible, but what we have learned from Edgar Schein is just as alive, if not more, and is more important is what is underneath the soil is feeding the culture of the tree. So that's where, that's the metaphor that we refer to throughout the book.
0: Right. So it's not about changing like the color of the sanctuary (laughs) or even the pastor. It's about changing that whole culture and the underlying ethos and yeah, just, just the values of the church if you're going to get the good
2: fruit that you like. I love right. that. And what And what we've, well, two things that we've learned is culture is like an active living agent. It tells people how to think, how to behave, how to respond to situations. And we've also learned that you can have a toxic culture and still get some really good, beautiful peaches, like yes. a beautiful Sunday service. But there is toxic, there, there are toxic elements underneath the soil that are active and alive. And somebody knows that they're there. Right. And, and what,
0: I, what I really appreciated about your book, Pivot, as well, is you had a lot of examples of churches that have gone through this or that have noticed that something's wrong. And um, early in the book, you talked about Oak Hill's church. Um, can you tell us that story about how they realized they needed to do a pivot?
1: I only want to make one statement is the, the author was one of my students. And I <laughs> I I vaguely remember him in class. <laughs> it, was so, it was so long ago, Mike Lucan. I may have had Kent, oh. I, I'm not sure, but Mike Lucan was a student of mine at Trinity, uh, probably in the 80s, 1980s. Mm. And when his book came out, uh, I was at an event, and he came up to me, and I remembered his face and all that. And then he told us about the book and i read it at the time but i gave it to laura so laura is the one who's the talker about the story of oak hills
2: yeah this is yet another book that appeared on my doorstep and my (laughs) dad you need to write about you need to read this and then write about it but it became probably my one of my favorite parts of pivot Mm -hmm. um this book i had never heard of before it's called renovation of the church it's by the two pastors that my dad mentioned they um, actually they came out here. I'm we're in the Chicago area to Willow Creek to a they are from California. Came out here to the Chicago area, attended a Willow Creek conference, and they offer no criticism of Willow Creek. They said everything, literally everything that Willow taught us and we tried worked. Mm-hmm. So they go back to California. Their attendance explodes. They became a megachurch and they were thriving and. The pastors are really honest about um, how they felt about themselves. They said, you know, we we really liked being known by Willow Creek as up and coming leaders. And we felt important when people would wait in line at, at the end of a service to talk to us. And they one of them reflected and said, like, our, our my ego was was run away and, and our ambition was run away, too. They recognized that in themselves. And they also started reading. This really stood out to me. They started reading Eugene Peterson and um, Dallas Willard. And they started to feel like an uneasiness in their spirit. And they recognized the the quote that's so beautiful is they said, We realized that our attractional church model. Was actually working against the invitation of Christ to transform lives. I just thought that was so beautiful. I I like kind of stopped my tracks when I read that. Um, I wrote it down. And then I thought, like, why? And they said it's because the people had become consumers. Mm -hmm. So they would come and they would expect a great show. And then next week they'd come back and they'd want an even better show. And they said, we started feeling like our staff was run down. We had like a monster in the basement that we had to constantly feed.
0: Yeah. I've got that. I've got
2: that underlined.
0: Yeah. and circled
2: right here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so talk about a pivot. They completely trans. So they took a really good look at their soil and they completely removed the attractional, Church model. I'm not saying that that's always a negative model, but for them in their spirit, it was. And they took out the flashy Sunday service and they took out success. They took out of their soil. They stopped counting how many people were coming. Mm-hmm. And instead, they added discipleship and they just started teaching people about Jesus and how to live like Him from the pulpit. And you can read in the book, it was, it was tumultuous, like it was tumultuous, like their attendance, I think dropped in half. The staff was completely confused because (laughs) most of them had been hired for their skill and their talent. And all of a sudden they're not putting on flashy services, but the end result was the complete transformation of a culture And they both said at the end, it was worth it. It was worth it. Right.
0: You know, I'm thinking about um, Caitlin Beatty's book, um, Celebrities for Jesus. And we talked to Caitlin, I don't know, about a year ago. And one of the things that she said is that in the megachurch model, you can't have any authenticity because it is always a show. And so the pastor can't ever be authentic. You can't ever be real. And that's really what I picked up. I'm just going to read a little bit um, that, that gets to what you were saying, quoting them, you said in this model, in this attraction model, there's simply no room for letting up. There is no resting. And they felt like a monster was beginning to stir. And, you know, I, you just think of some of these pastors who, yeah, they feel like I have to be on, I can never make a mistake. I can't, I have to always look perfect. Like I'm excited. Like I never have any doubts. <laughs> And it's a big entertainment show. And that's just not what Authentic Life with Christ is.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, Laura Laura wrote about that. But um, I don't think we realize the impact of the megachurch movement's platforming of personalities and personas every weekend in such a way that they are putting on a performance. Mm-hmm. And... I don't think we realize what this does to church life and to the Christian life mm. is that you, in a sense, they have to be on. But these are personalities who, by and large, can be on every weekend. Yes. And that's that's an issue right there, is that they are, you know, the normal person is not on every day. Mm-hmm. They go up and down. All right. But. These kinds of people are on all the time, and it's not realistic. And then they give the image to everybody in the church that this is the normal Christian life, and it's not. And, you know, we have way too many people in these sorts of churches uh, today. Now, the average—this is a stunning number—the average size of a church in the United States, I think, is now 62.
0: Wow, 62
1: people. That's wow. the average size okay. of a church in the United States. Okay, But you know, that means half the churches are smaller than that, and half the churches are bigger than that. So, or whatever, it's the median or whatever. It's one of these numbers. The point is that our models of a church never come from the norm. They come from the very top. And as a result, people are given unrealistic expectations. I cannot tell you the number of students of mine who are former pastors who used to attend major church conferences and get all jacked up about them and then realize they will never reproduce that sort of model in their church, and it became so discouraging. And some of them left the ministry, but a lot of them just simply said, I'm not doing that. I'm going to be a pastor of a group of 127 people, and I'm going to marry people, and I'm going to bury people, and I'm going to go to their kids' soccer games, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go to the high school graduation, and I'm going to die, and I'm not going to be famous, but I will have pastored people in this community for 40 years. I have a student who's a pastor in a small community in Kansas. He he graduated from seminary. That was his church. He's been there, and he's going to retire there. He's been there for, for almost forty years.
0: That doesn't sound so bad. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: but we need we need those kinds of people as the models of a church.
0: Now, of course, small churches can be just as toxic as big churches. So there isn't oh, anything yes. necessarily magical about a smaller church. But I do think that there are unique unique problems with mega churches that yeah. are very difficult to overcome. Yeah,
1: that's what came up. So that's why we were talking. Yeah, exactly. About,
0: Okay. So you said something that I underlined like four times um, in the book that somehow we have equated ability with character mm. when it yeah. comes to pastors. And then you used a bunch of bird analogies and like we're major bird watchers. So of course I absolutely <laughs> love this part, but can you can you tell me about crows and goldfinches?
1: <laughs> oh, uh, goldfinches. See, goldfinches are so beautiful. And uh, I don't even, even remember Uh, exactly what i said about the birds but wasn't it about how to pick out their characters and and how they behave
0: yeah Yeah. and how how sometimes like the things that are the most that have the biggest ability they're not the ones that you want running things (laughs) that's right (laughs) yeah
1: but i do i really do think sheila it's a big issue that when um and, and i've been i got in the habit for too long and i will admit this of reading job descriptions for pastoral searches. And I was not impressed. What impressed me was they were looking for people who could perform a skill on Sunday mornings Mm -hmm. and and sometimes lead people during the week to build an organization out rather than um, we have sophisticated measurements that show... Whether a person is living a spirit-filled life, a grace-shaped life, whether that person follows Jesus, and we want a person uh, to lead our church who is a follower of Jesus and will help us follow Jesus the way this person follows Jesus. Yeah, that that is um, this is this is a radical. I think it's a radical idea to say we've got to shift from skill assessment to character evaluation yeah. i think it's a big deal
0: yeah and when you look at the scandals in the church it's quite clear we have a major issue with what character kind of,
1: what kind of birds do you have coming through right now? i saw a gold <laughs> a gold crown a golden crown king golden
0: king my husband can never get pictures of them because they move so quickly yeah. <laughs>
1: Fidgety little things
2: in canada Did you i know, know. Yeah. i know
1: but sometimes people in canada sometimes can be even behind where we are in chicago on the oh. migration patterns yeah depending on where where they the, are the red wing
0: blackbirds haven't left yet there's still oh, a couple well, of well i wish around. they
1: they came with satan <laughs> red wing <laughs> blackbirds came with satan they just are noisy they attack our heads when we go by their nests in the spring don't like them don't like them <laughs> but i do like golden crown kinglets i was so lucky today that i saw the golden yeah. spot on its head that's pretty rare
0: yeah we like ruby crowned ones too. We get those yeah. up here as well. Yeah, we do too. <laughs> okay. So um, there's a story that you shared that is just so beautiful. And I totally know why you shared shared it. I think it was a Twitter thread um, that a pastor shared about what happened at his church. And basically this woman had come in, in a wheelchair. And they had just gone up and talked to her afterwards after the service to say hi to her. And she said that she has a ramp, but she's waiting for it to get installed by city services. And the pastor asked, how long have you been waiting? And she said, 18 months. And and he couldn't believe it. And so he grabbed a bunch of people from the church to go and put the ramp in. And they did. And then they continued to just drop over and help her and everything. And the pastor ended the Twitter thread with this. This is why, despite all its issues, I can't leave the local church. We're going to be able to install a ramp, pull-up bars, and other mobility items at her home. We're also working on getting her a large print Bible because her eyesight is fading. A better solution for mail, she can't get to her communal mailbox anymore, and setting up a visiting schedule. I'm still convinced that there is nothing like the local church when it's healthy, inclusive, justice-driven, and Jesus-centered.
2: I remember Zach remember, Lambert, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. that day when he tweeted that story. I thought, that's that's the church. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. people using their gifts and and responding to needs. Yeah.
1: I have a I have a friend, a former student who's a pastor not too far from here, who when he moved into a community to begin a church, they had a small group of people, the core that they were going to start with. He went to the school district, school board meeting, and said, they, the school board leader said, why are you here? What do you want? He said, well, he said, we, uh, we've, we're we, starting a church in this community, and we'd like to know how we can help you out. And the And the school board president said, we have never had a church ask how they can help us out. They've always come to ask how we can help them out. And he said, the school board president said, well, he said, to be frank, we have a school that's, that uh, is below code, and we can't meet it anymore, and we can't afford to fix it. And this pastor friend of mine said, he, he got together with the leaders in his church and said, we'll fix this school for you. <laughs> and for the next year, on Saturday mornings, people from the church worked in that building and brought it up to code, and now the kids are are in that school. So... That's a pretty good story. Pretty that good is story. A pretty good story. The church being the church.
0: You know, my daughter um is starting to go to a, a different kind of a church. <laughs> it's a, it's a newer church in our community, but it's really focused on kind of being the a different just yeah, a different kind of church. And they don't really encourage people to give money to the church. They try to keep their budget as low as possible. What they encourage you to do is to have people over for dinner you know, use that money to actually help people in your community. And they they mentor people on how to do that. And that's what people are doing is like mm. getting to know their neighbors and getting to know, you know, those who are lonely and the elderly and actually helping, <laughs> which is what, yeah, a church is supposed to be. And I think, you know, that's what we all need. A couple of weeks ago, I had um, Nagma Panahi on the podcast. And she was talking about how she was in a church that gave just huge 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 unbelievably huge budget that they were spending on you know fog machines like everything right and then this woman who was in really dire straits um, who had just single woman abandoned by her husband um, had no money for groceries and rent came and they gave her like $250 and said don't expect anything more Um, and you know she made an issue out of this It's like what's the priority
2: are we helping people or not right? Yeah. I'm, I'm making thinking, that,
0: I, I'm, I'm doing that by memory and I
2: could be wrong yeah. on that, but you I'm know, reading, it's that
0: kind of thing. Yeah. I'm
2: reading her book right now and I'm just, I find it stunning. Mm-hmm. What a story. Yeah. I've been texting my dad about it.
0: <laughs> well, it, it, what, I mean, what's, what's, what I found so incredible about, about the, her story is just how much the church is growing in Iran, even when the leadership wasn't good. Right. But, know. but the God is still raising.
2: Yeah, is, is like exponential growth and it's all underground.
0: Yeah. But she said that's not happening in North America in the same way because of the soil. What, what you're talking about really is, mm-hmm. um, you know, is the soil just isn't there because they're not focused on surrender and service the way they are in Iran. Like even, even her husband, her ex-husband, who was not necessarily a, well, he wasn't a good husband. He was an abusive husband. But, you know, he was prepared to give his life for the sheep. Mm -hmm. And so even the the questionable pastors are there prepared to sacrifice, but we don't see that in North America in the same way. There isn't the same culture of, no, we're here to serve, not to be served. Um, And that's, that's the big, that's the big difference. Okay. So one of the things when you get into practical changes in the book on how, how an individual sitting in the pews Maybe you're like Nagma and you see what your church is spending on, yeah, the smoke machine or the, the decorations for Thanksgiving. Um, meanwhile, there's people in your church who can't pay rent. And you're like, this has to change. Or, or maybe your pastor is really sexist or they're covering up, a, whatever it might be. And you talk about how important it is when you start seeing these things to, to form a coalition. So can you tell me why and what that looks like?
1: Um, it is, um, it is a real challenge for the way our churches are constructed, the way pastors have a mindset to think of everything as top down. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so in other words, there's a lot of people who think that if we do a sermon series for 12 weeks on Tove, that we're going to change the church into Tove. Tove is a culture that we're talking about it's an entire culture and it takes years to build a culture so uh we we believe that churches institutions that want to transform want to be transformed into a tove culture um have to take some basic assessments so we have the tove tool in the book to generate conversations in a church to precipitate um issues that can be worked on. But it's important to understand that it's not like some leader is saying, all right, now this is my vision. Now you, I want you, everybody to follow along. So we believe in um, forming a coalition. And yes, it can start with two or three, four leaders in the church. I hope they're not all men. Hope they're not all white men, but that's what churches often have. In their leadership structures. And then uh, to start developing, let's say, a really solid spiritual, biblical, theological vision for what this church could be. And let's avoid terms like branding and everything else. So Mm -hmm. we don't want to do that. We don't need some catchy expression. Tove is a good enough expression. Uh, Following Jesus is a good enough expression. And then uh, to move to a couple more people, let's say add another six people to this circle and allow those people to make contributions to the basic vision rather than sell your vision to six more people, let those six people enter into the conversation and adjust the uh, vision and then build it out from there over time until where you have a critical mass in the church that owns a vision of spiritual formation and transformation in a church. When you have worked hard to build that kind of coalition, you're 95% there. I just made up that number. (laughs) I'm not a mathematician. Yeah. But once you have convinced a critical mass, or let's just say once the critical mass has owned a vision of transformation toward, let's say, Christlikeness or Christoformity, whatever term, Tove you want to use, you have formed the, the nucleus of genuine transformation. But let's not think that that coalition can be formed in three months. I know a pastor who worked with his church for five years. To form the coalition that actually transformed the church but the first five years was all behind, in a sense, closed doors. It didn't go public to the church as a as an entire community. It's a, it's a mega church. Um, it didn't go public until five years after they worked really hard with one another, con- allowing all the people involved to take ownership so that they were part of it. So um, this is how church churches begin. If someone starts a church with a group of, let's say, six people, they are all on the same page, and they're it's egalitarian basically. There's no authority, although it doesn't take long for someone with leadership skills to emerge. But if they have good leadership skills, they don't emerge as an authoritarian leader, they emerge as someone who speaks the voice of the people. Mm-hmm. And it it takes a while. But once you start that way and churches that begin that way form a culture, and they don't even realize that they were doing that, and they don't realize how many conversations it took to get to that point and how much ownership was involved with other people to form that vision. So um, part of our pivot book is to help people see that building a coalition is at the core. That's Mm -hmm. pretty...
0: And can obvious. you can you build a coalition if you're not the leader? Because you did talk about this, like what to do if you're just someone in the pews, right? And and you see problems. Um, you know, so you start talking to one or two other people, you pull them into some, you know, book studies, or like what would that look like?
1: Well, Laura and I actually this is this is one of the big issues that came up that, why this book was written, is that we are often asked by uh Ordinary people in churches who have been excluded from power, uh, what can I do to transform my church? Well, you know, there's, that, this is a really big question, and it's very common, and so we address that. But what they can uh, genuinely do to make a difference is to work on being Tove themselves, so that's a character formation, to form around them some friends that can that can join the commitment to be Tove, and to form what we call—and I made this expression up one day when we were on on a Zoom a podcast call—form uh, a pocket of Tove in the church, and hope that there will be a couple other pockets that form and over time become a witness to Tove in the church. This uh, Sheila is about all many people can hope for.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it may only be one pocket, and it may only be 10 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that may be all that happens, because some cultures are totally resisting of transformation toward Tove. But I, I believe that the senior pastor should not be the transformation agent in a church. I believe it needs to be decentralized with someone who has good leadership skills that can work on this to build out this coalition. And, and that I think is a radical plea to to pastors because I don't think many of them would surrender this type of transformation to someone else.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to read a longer passage on how transformation starts and what people are thinking about, just because I think this is really going to resonate. This brought tears to my eyes, this paragraph. So here we go. You said, a pastor friend of mine told me the one thing his church wanted to transform was no small thing. They wanted to shift from a simplistic, let's get born again, gospel to a kingdom gospel. Instead of preaching a gospel that said little more than Jesus loves you, you are a sinner, Jesus died for you, believe in him, the leaders of this church wanted to expand it to include the biblical conviction that believing requires lifelong discipleship training to live the way of Jesus in our world. That way includes caring about justice, compassion, and peace. For such a transformation to occur, many other dimensions of the church also needed to shift. Adult Bible classes, relationships with one another, foreign missions trips, giving, and others. But the leaders wisely chose to focus on the single biggest issue they saw, their vision of the gospel. That was the one thing they wanted to transform. And I know this is this is one of the biggest things I get emails about, is like, The gospel I was taught as a kid is too small It it doesn't look like Jesus. It's like, it's just my, my get to heaven free card, you know, get out of hell free card kind of thing. And then it doesn't mean anything else for my life. And that doesn't look like what Jesus wanted to do. And they want something deeper. This is, this is the call of so many people's hearts today is like, we want something more, than just this simplistic gospel that doesn't really change anything in me. That's a hard thing to get people to see because, you know, we all were given the four spiritual laws as kids. And we were given that, you know, the wordless book where it was, what was it? It was green and then it was black and then it was red. Like the gospel described to us was. I've never seen
1: that um, one.
2: Oh, you yeah. have well, the wordless No, it, oh, no I haven't
1: seen that. Yeah. I'm
2: thinking of Bill Heidel's um, diagram that he drew. Bridge. Uh, the, the bridge. bridge. The, yeah. the yeah. bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Like,
1: okay, uh, Sheila, I'm writing a book on Jesus right now. So this is, you're, you're talking okay. my language here. If you begin in Luke chapter four.
0: Yes. <laughs> okay. Jesus' first sermon, yes. <laughs>
1: Jesus' first sermon according to the gospel of Luke. He stands up and he reads a passage from Isaiah chapter 61 verses one to two. And he basically says, this is my mission.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And his mission was to preach the gospel to the poor, yeah. to liberate the oppressed, to set free those who are in prison. John the Baptist will bring this up later. <laughs> Jesus doesn't quite say, well, I'll take care of that. Um and at the end of this, the it, it's verse 21, or verse 19 in Luke chapter 4, okay. Jesus says, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, that is really interesting, because there's not a person in the world who didn't recognize that that's from Leviticus 25, mm-hmm. the Jubilee,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the Jubilee was to release people from debt slavery and to create economic justice and distribution. Now, Jesus has just listened to John the Baptist talk about repentance in Luke chapter 3, and the readers of the Gospel of Luke see this. And when people said, what should we do for repentance? John the Baptist had one basic message to three or four groups, namely, economic justice. Mm -hmm. So, Jesus' vision from the very beginning had this jubilee vision of, let's say, liberation of people from all sorts of injustices. Mm. Now, if that's not the gospel, I don't know what is. And and this is what I say all the time. I have a pretty sneaking suspicion that Jesus knew what he was talking about. (laughs) And if that's what he says is the gospel, that's what the gospel is. And Jesus never preached the four spiritual laws or the bridge diagram. And he didn't show the, what'd you call it? The color book or the non-color yeah, book. The
0: wordless book? Yeah, the you know, wordless book. Sure it's green and then black and then red and then red. white and then uh, yellow.
1: Gold, yellow right. for the yeah. heaven. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, that, that
1: Van Gogh had the same idea.
0: Okay. Wow. He never
1: preached that gospel. Oh. Jesus preached a gospel that was, I call it, Holistic redemption. The whole of life can be transformed by the redemptive power of God's grace in Jesus Christ. So I'm totally with you when you say that people say that the gospel was too small. But when you start preaching Luke chapter four in most evangelical churches, they'll either say you're a progressive liberal or you're a a social gospelite. Mm-hmm. That's just plain wrong. Yeah.
2: Economic liberation.
1: Yeah. Redemption. Yeah. It's justice, economic justice. I mean, yeah. we talk about economic injustices in the United States. In Israel, in Galilee, where Jesus lived, 90% of the people, close to 90%, we don't know for sure. We don't have demographics, but it's pretty close. Ninety percent of people lived at the level of subsistence. Yeah. Ninety percent of the people. And seven to ten percent, eight to ten percent of the people lived in luxury. And the people who listened to Jesus preach that jubilee message in Nazareth from Luke chapter four, the people who were happy were the poor. Yeah. So there you go.
0: <laughs> and I think that's what people want. They just want something which is meaningful. Um, and which, which is, yeah, just bigger than a, just get out of, get out of hell free card. Yeah, um, yeah. Yep. And, and, and to think about this differently, but it is, it is hard when, if you start trying to raise these things, yeah, you're called a socialist or you're called a, you know, whatever it might be, but you think about that pastor who was just saying, you know, there's a woman in a wheelchair.
1: Yeah, and that was she wonderful. She couldn't get
0: the she couldn't get the city to build a ramp, so we went and built her a ramp. Like that's that's the church. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the church and we've lost sight of that. Um but I think I think what you're showing in pivot is is how you can get it back and at the end of each chapter you've got like um uh Sort of self-evaluations, you've got questions that you can work through with a group. Because I think this is really what you meant too, right? Is like, let's let's work through this this book with with a group of a coalition that is trying to change things. Yep, yeah,
1: yep, yeah, yeah, that's and, right.
2: And um a lot of it's transformation requires reflection and mm-hmm. pivot, I think, in my opinion, is not meant to just tear through it, like it's meant to be a slow. Steady, thoughtful, reflective, deep process. Yeah.
0: And probably like, uh, it's sort of going to go with you in your coalition over a few years as you, you know, revisit yeah. and as you take and you have assessments in there for churches. But I you know I think one of the biggest, the biggest lessons that I got out of the book is you can't see yourself as a lone ranger. That's not how it works in the Bible. The, you know, so much of the Bible is it's community, right? Like the focus yeah. is yeah. community and the Holy Spirit works. Through us, but in community, right? So we can't we can't be lone rangers, and we do have to find um, people that we can talk to. But you're also really realistic. I remember um, later in the book, you shared the story of a worship leader who tried this. Like there were problems in the church. They formed the coalition. They went to the pastor, but they still ended up losing their job, right, and getting kicked out. And so, just because you see things correctly. And even just because you get a collision doesn't mean that there's not going to be fallout, and you're not going to lose stuff. Mm-hmm. Couldn't yeah. you have written a happier book? Like, I mean,
1: <laughs> there's some happy things in the book, but it is, you know, Sheila, we're, this is a book about people, for people who really are committed to seeing toxic cultures transformed into Tove cultures. Yeah. Okay. the The normal leader does not think that he or she has created a toxic culture mm-hmm. so there's your obstacle that's the person with all the power yeah so it is uh it's almost a miracle of god's spirit that gets a pastor and a leader in a church to say the the premier leader to say you know we've got a lot of work to do we've got to do it and this yeah. is what Laura and I and they the Tove tool are so convinced of is that you're going to have to ask questions. And if you genuinely allow people to answer these questions in safety, you will surface—it's not a good verb, but we use it now—you will surface serious concerns in your church, in almost every church, and you'll realize we got some work to do. And that's, that's the beginning. That's yeah. the beginning of transformation.
0: And having work to do doesn't mean you're in a bad church. Having work to do but refusing to do it (laughs) means you're in a problematic church, right? Yeah, that's good. Every time there's people together in a community, there's work to do because we're messy, right? But it's when people refuse to do the work. And I think too, like the the worship leader who lost his job, I mean, that's sad that he wasn't able to make the the change that he wanted, but that wasn't necessarily a failure. Like he still did the right thing and hopefully he landed in a better place. And he was a good example to others, right? You know,
1: Sheila, you know that there's a lot of whistleblowers who get abused. Yeah. Uh, they, they've they told the truth. They've pointed out the problem. And then they become the problem for the organization. And how a, a person responds to a whistleblower and how a church or an organization responds to a whistleblower tells you everything about that, that culture.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So let's say that you formed a coalition. Let's say that you're, you're a woman in the church. You're you're doing some small groups on some really good books. <laughs> uh, you know, you're reading The Making of Biblical Womanhood with, by Beth Allison Barr. You're reading Redeeming Power by Diane Langberg. You're reading The Great Sex Rescue. You're reading the Tove books and you've got people excited about this, but nothing's happening at what point like do you have any uh words of wisdom for for when you know if you can leave or not like when you've done enough
2: we have had this has been another typical question that we've had and it's it's quite frequent wouldn't you agree dad is
1: oh it's people common ask us, I was like, asked this question yesterday
2: people <laughs> ask us like should we leave should we go and and i my answer really has not changed over the last three years is I don't think there's one answer. Oh, good. That's what I always say too. (laughs) (laughs) Every situation is different and and needs to be evaluated with wisdom and patience and prayer and, and with the advice of counselors if needed. And for one person, the answer might be to stay and work and for another person, the answer might be, it's not healthy for you to stay. You have to leave. I continue to answer the question that way because I just don't think there's one answer for everybody and every, you know, submitting to the spirit and going where he leads is different for everybody.
1: (laughs) And And I would say that there are some basic strategies that you can use though. The first thing I would say is, let's say you want to register a complaint. You're actually saying, can this church get better? I think you need to understand the church's, procedures and protocols for making, let's say, some complaints. And the second thing is, I think uh, you need to come up with realistic expectations, one of which is just because you tell somebody that they're, they've are they got a toxic leader doesn't mean it's going to happen. It probably means it's not going to happen. Uh, so you have to ex- expect that. Then I would say you need to have a goal of being heard rather than The transformation of the culture. Mm -hmm. Just you want to be heard. That's the beginning. And that is not an easy thing to do. And a lot of people, a lot of institutions, churches, you know, schools, etc., businesses will pretend like they heard and they'll pat you on the back and say, Thing, we really appreciate you being honest, but Mm -hmm. they're just full of you know what. And they're not, they're not really telling you the truth. And then I would say, you need to set out a realistic expectation of how long you're willing to work at it and sort of come up with, if I don't see changes within six months or nine months or a year that look like this, then it's time for me to move on. Mm -hmm. And there is no one answer to this, but there's some basic strategies that you can use that will help you cope with what's actually going on. But I really do believe a, a goal of being heard
0: mm-hmm.
1: is about this the highest goal you can reach.
0: Yeah.
1: In most cultures. Yeah. That's not I very encouraging.
0: That. No, but I you know it's something that I tell people too is you're not responsible for changing anyone's mind. Yeah. Right? Like think of how many people didn't listen to Jesus, right? Like, yeah, if you're heard, that's that's big. And I, I love I love really the picture that I got in reading, especially the second half of your book was just how people can be insurgents in the church, where even if the wider church culture doesn't change, you know, you can be having Bible studies with a couple of friends, you can be, you can be transforming your small group, and you can become a force for good that can even transform your youth group, because often the the church leadership doesn't pay much attention to what's going on in the youth group. I know I've been able to say a lot of stuff <laughs> when I've been running youth groups that that the senior
2: leadership never knew about. <laughs> like, right. So. You can form your pocket. Mm-hmm. Right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was really it was very special to me. I think one of the most special moments at the restore conference last month, somebody came up to me and said, I formed a pocket of Tove. Mm. That made me feel so hopeful. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. So um, as as we're closing out, do you have any stories of hope that you can leave us with? You know, just as we go into the Christmas season and thinking about how we can transform our churches or what we want our churches to be. Do you have any other stories that you've heard from from people that have done that?
1: Well, we've, we've told them in the book, some of these stories and Laura's told the one about Oak Hill, which is so encouraging. But the other one is New Hope. In Oregon with John Rosensteel, and um, it was an eight-year process. Yeah. But uh, they they sort of they had a pretty good idea of where they were headed, and it was tough. And there were many days that that John and his wife wanted to leave, and uh, they hung on. And now it's a very healthy church situation. So it it can be done, but expectations need to be realistic you're dealing with agents human beings are agents they're not all going to get on board for your idea so building the coalition is so important because you're going to get a maximum number of people involved in the vision and then be patient one step at a time don't back up but they often say in some of these is that is that you've only crossed halfway across the river. You can always go back. Uh, But once you get past halfway, you're committed. Yeah. And it takes a long time to get halfway.
0: Yeah. I love that. But
1: it can be done.
0: I love that. So you can pick up Pivot wherever Christian books are sold. I'll put a link in the uh, podcast notes um, to where you can get the book. And Scott, you have some new books out too. I know you have Sheila.
1: Did you notice that the last three letters of pivot spell Tove backwards?
0: Yes, I love that.
1: <laughs> that was not designed for us. Um uh, yeah, I'm writing uh, uh everyday Bible studies. Uh and the most recent one is Mark that has come out. I have Revelation coming out in the winter.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I have a translation of the New Testament called the Second Testament. So That's awesome. But this is a this is the post post-COVID publication time, because I had basically two years where I didn't travel and speak or a year and a half. So now, all of a sudden, all these books are coming out. But from now on. <laughs> I was
2: going to say that. I feel like every day I wrote, I said something on Twitter the other day. I was like, how many books do you even have? Because yeah. every day, like there's a new one coming out. <sighs>
1: Well, not now. That makes so, sense.
2: with the COVID writing era.
0: I know. Yeah, I did four yeah. books during COVID. It was crazy. I'm never going to do that yeah. again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I, just love I, good news. I don't
1: like to tell people, but COVID was a blessing for me for writing. Yes. Uh, but it wasn't a blessing for the world. No. But uh, I was home and had nowhere to go. So yeah. started. I just
0: wrote. Yeah, I did too. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here on, um, the Bear marriage podcast. And again, I will put the links to Scott's books, um, and social media in the podcast notes so that you can follow Scott and Laura too. I know Laura's very active on, have you moved over to threads yet?
2: I've ventured over a little bit more in recent days. Um, I'm starting to like it. Okay.
0: Um, your mom's on threads too, right? I think I've seen your mom on threads. My mom's
2: on threads. My dad's on threads. Okay. My dad was the first one in our family.
1: With <laughs> stuff, hey, I didn't even know what it was, but I remember yeah. thinking that I was telling people about a new social media mm-hmm. and they're looking at me like, if you're telling us about some social media, it's got to be really old. But, uh, <laughs> but it's not as, you know, it's not as active as my Twitter, but I'm, I yeah. want to move, move toward threads.
0: Yeah, my Twitter was so active too. And of course, that's where I met both of you was on Twitter and yeah. Um, yeah. and your yeah. wife, Scott. But uh yeah, I just am tired of the toxicity. So we're all over on threads too. So I'll put links to both your Twitter and your threads and my Twitter okay. and my threads <laughs> so that people can find us there.
2: Yeah. All
0: right. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks for so having much. Us. Good to see you. Right.
2: Thank
1: you, Sheila. Good to see you. Bye. Bye, Laura.
0: Bye, Dad. You know, I just wanted to end the year on that note that I I do believe that God is shaking the church right now. I believe that God is doing a tremendous work in the church right now. And even though there's lots of unhealthy spaces, and we all know that, and we've been talking about that for the last few weeks. You know, we've heard we've heard of the last few months of podcasts, some great stories of how churches have been changed. Taryn Williams in South Africa, of how he changed his view of women. And now he's leading an entirely new church, which is healthy. Um, You know, we've heard from Laura Berenger and Scott McKnight today on how we can make a difference even within our own circles. And that's what it all comes down to. Um, We can't wait for other people to do this work. We We need to do it too. We need to find healthy places. We need to help those healthy places grow. And we need to create those healthy spaces ourselves. And so pick up their book, Pivot, Take a look at the links that I've left in the podcast notes where you can find them. But also, if you are able, I would just ask you to, to donate to the Good Fruit Faith under the Bosco Foundation so that we can expand what we are doing. And so the link to that is in the podcast notes. Thank you for being here with us in 2023. It's been a huge year. She Deserves Better came out. That makes a great Christmas gift if you don't have it yet. The Great Sex Rescue is now two and a half years old and still doing well. You know, every week we get more listeners to our podcast and our email list, um, and we're growing. Things are growing because people want change. And so keep spreading the word, keep speaking up, because together we can make that change. So Merry Christmas, everyone, and Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2024. Bye-bye.